Hello, I'm I'm here with David Mays, a longtime friend and fellow data man. Um, David, welcome. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm David, fellow data man to Alex. We go way back. Uh, uh, yeah, what should we say? Uh, our origins, our very first friendship began across a coffee counter, and uh, we both sort of came up in data around the same time, although through very different pathways, and uh, still learning every day, still uh, still loving the practice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I work at a small startup. Uh, we mostly serve restaurants, and uh, comes from my, my long history in hospitality, and uh, pretty passionate about the food industry and data as a whole. Absolutely. Um, one thing that David and I often talk about is how to use data to make a business run more efficiently, to better serve customers and improve the customer experience. And these are some of the things that I want to touch on in today's episode, looking at how can we leverage the power of data to build a more effective business. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I guess um, one thing that we like to talk about is uh, lifetime value and how can we increase the lifetime value from our customers and use this kind of analysis to perhaps segment customers um, into who's really driving the majority of the revenue. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll pose that as a question to you, David. What are some of the things that businesses can start tracking in order to increase the lifetime value of their customers? Yeah, it's an excellent question. I think, I think in general, the lifetime value of a customer can be boiled down to a few key attributes. You're going to want to look at their, their behavior of visits, essentially. And those visits will be of a certain recency, of a certain frequency, and of a certain sort of typical monetary spend. Um, those three attributes are really the key to defining what a customer's lifetime value is. Um, there are tons of, uh, you know, the research is pretty, pretty deep uh, when it comes to how to calculate that, comparing that to your cost of customer acquisition or your CAC value. Um, you might hear thrown around all the time, the LTV to CAC ratio. Uh, those are all sort of dependent on those three, three key things. As long as you can know, you know, when a customer last came, to your uh, to your store or to your to your business when they last made a visit or purchase, uh, you know how frequently they typically come and how how much they spend on a typical visit uh, or, a, or a purchase. Knowing those three things are pretty key, and uh, you can make a lot of pretty broad stroked sort of aggregations on that data and segment your customers based on those three three key behavioral characteristics. Um, and from that, you can do, you know you can do a variety of marketing efforts. I think the the what you do with the data is a lot trickier of a question to answer than than what data do you start even tracking. But I think you're you're up a up a creek without a paddle unless you unless you have those three things on every customer. The more I learn about marketing analytics, the more I understand it's it's really about understanding behavior the context around around different actions and then making ideally automated um, business decisions in order to serve that customer in the best possible way, basically understanding where that customer is at that moment. Um, and that can be done in a variety of ways from understanding their response to emails that you're sending out to, um, you know, better logging of uh, maybe sales interactions with that customer, right? And having a unified system where you can 
see and marketers can see what the salespeople are doing with the customer and sales can see what the marketers are tracking about the customer. Um, it's all about understanding the customer's behavior where the customer is and then uh, serving them with whatever their, you know, whatever best suits their needs at that at that particular time. I think I see that as one of the core values that that marketing analytics really brings. And that's what we're talking about here with with the lifetime value model. It's about understanding that that customer really like it really is engaging with your brand and rewarding them for it and continue and, and rewarding that behavior. Yeah, totally. I think too, uh, what you just said is really, really nice to flesh out. It's like, you know, the the great benefit of, of marketing analytics is that you are understanding who your customer is. But more importantly, how marketing analytics probably should define who a customer is, is by what they do, not by necessarily who they are. I think historically, especially since a lot of public data and a lot of uh, sort of customer data was about, um, you know, their demographics or their their psychographics, you know, are they, uh, what gender are they, what age bracket are they, um, sort of what are their uh, purchasing behaviors on sort of a larger scale. Um, but, uh, but I think shifting from demographic or psychographic models to a behavioral model about who the customer is, is a lot more actionable because uh, it directly correlates to sort of how you might expect them to behave in the future. Um, it's almost like a Skinner-like uh, behavioralism that's that's coming forward in marketing that's really exciting. And I think people are really just starting to sort of dig through those depths. I want you to say more about that Skinner uh, topic that you mentioned. Oh, yeah. It's just like sort of a, a classical psychologist. Um, Skinner, Skinner was... Uh, foundational in, in a lot of behavioral psychology in terms of how we're trained, um, sort of what, what primes us to make certain decisions in different situations. Um, he was foundational in the field of psychology. But I think, I think that sort of behavioral, um, you know, identifying what behaviors are historical, what drives those behaviors, what levers you can then pull to drive the behaviors that you want most out of your customers, um, yeah, I think I think I think all of those topics sort of blend together in in uh, in marketing these days. Yeah, you bring up a really interesting point that I've been thinking about recently, which is that B two C marketing has traditionally been very spray and pray, and that's why you would use these big demographic um, groupings: um, women eighteen to thirty nine. I mean. There are so many behavioral differences in that group, but for the purposes of volume and getting the the word out, you would have to operate in a simple, you know, in in a more simplified manner. Now that we have analytics on individual customers, um, and and by the way, this was different than B2B. Historically, B2B has been much more targeted. Even in 50 years ago, it would be much more targeted. You would have lists of the decision makers in other companies. You would take a specific person out to lunch or dinner and try to coerce them to become a customer or or to, to at least explain to them the value that you bring, and you would tailor it to that person. And but also fifty years ago, we would have the P and G and and or uh, yeah, Procter and Gamble. They would own a bunch of you know different uh, household brands, and they would just market to everybody. I mean, as as many people as they could. There there wasn't a lot of individual targeting, and the trend I see now 
is not only is B2B becoming even more targeted than it was before, especially with online advertising, B2C is also in this able to move in that direction. If you think about Instagram or Facebook, you know, you you I remember I was looking up some uh product um let's say it was like an you know external uh power pack like a battery for my phone and then i just get all these different ads for it they're not just you know sending battery um ads to everybody who's 18 to let's say 30 um in my age group and uh demographic they're sending it to people who exhibit the behavior of interest in that particular product. And that's much more of a B2B uh, targeting method than a B2C targeting method, uh, which has historically been much more demographics focused per your your comments earlier. So um, yeah, I, I love that we're moving generally as an industry towards behavioral targeting, because I think that it's better for the consumer and it's better for the business, because you spend less time spraying and praying and more time sort of with a targeted mindset that we're looking for people who genuinely want our product or service. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think, I think also it clearly, uh, reveals to you where you might be failing certain markets. Um, and sort of seeing your customer, uh, activity and engagement with your product or brand, uh, seeing that fall in certain behavioral demographics is, is going to be really key in determining, you know, what can we improve, uh, where can we be better for our customers? What do our customers actually value? Um, I think that's uh, I think that's brilliant. I love that you painted the history of of sort of B two B versus B two C, uh, and 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 how that's historically been been approached. And I think it's it's really just due to the wealth of data we have in this in this day and age. Data is just available everywhere. We we uh, you know especially since COVID, uh, surprisingly enough, our activities. Our lives are spent online. Um, our behaviors happen online. Um, things like cookie tracking and and uh, sort of being able to identify what people are doing when they're browsing the the, the internet um, really enable a lot of companies out there who can who can get their hands on the data um, to to uh, very easily understand who their potential and existing customers are. Yeah. And and definitely understanding potential customers better than ever. A lot of people might have not taken to online when considering uh, maybe purchasing a new piece of furniture because that's been historically an industry that's been done in person, although there have been some really successful online uh, retailers. But now... Um, even my mom, who hates shopping on the internet, would much prefer going to uh, an in-store, is looking online for the in-store options. And the difference there is not that, you know, it's it's not important that she's looking to buy it online. It's important that she's searching for the product online. And that establishes um, buyer intent. And, and that contributes to analytics and smarter decision making around who to serve your products to. Um, so that is, that is, I think the most interesting thing about everybody going online now is not necessarily people purchasing stuff online, but people considering purchases using online channels and that being tracked, um, and, and analyzed and used for better, uh, product development. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, just think about a single customer journey, uh, that takes them from one part of the website to a different part of the website with maybe the similar style of product at a slightly lower price. 
And you can understand so much about that customer's decision-making process just from those few simple data points. Um, and putting that into an aggregate segment based on uh, sort of, you know, uh, characteristics of products that might be desirable, price ranges that seem appropriate uh, for, the, for the particular product, what are the customers actually valuing your products at? Um, all of those things are, are critical to determine, you know, how can we push this person into a slightly higher paying bracket? How can we get more out of our customers? Uh, to go back to that question of, you know, how do we increase customer lifetime value? I think knowing why they're making the decisions that they make um, uh, is critical to determine, you know, how can we, how can we improve uh, our customers' experience by providing them something that they, they perceive as having more value and therefore they pay us more money? Absolutely. That's, it's all about building a smarter business. I, um, I think that using the tools in front of you, it's like if you gave, you know, explorers in the 1500s a GPS, they would be a lot better at maybe exploring new territory. Um, and it's all because they have a tool that shows them something that previously they had to sort of estimate. They had to guess and um, survey the stars um, in order to figure out what direction they were going. Um, and I think that that giving businesses the tool of advanced analytics is like giving the GPS to explorers. It's that powerful that it can tell them where to go. Um, and what's really working. And actually, this this brings me to an, another interesting point, which is I think sometimes we do too good of a job of following the analytics and we stray too far from the business objectives. So um, I, sometimes, you know, I notice it's so tempting to, to just look at what works and double and triple down on it. Um, but sometimes, you know, the uh, the general business objective is to move in a new direction. It's not just to focus on uh, that particular product that might be selling very well, but maybe we actually, as a business, want to win in a different area, and and maybe that necessitates a slightly less efficient um, marketing uh, move, and that's okay, right? That's okay because we want to win in in this particular area, and and so just analyzing what works. Uh, and doubling down on that might not be necessarily the best thing. It's it's always a blend between following the stars, following the big picture that um, that the executives paint, um, but also looking at okay, where are we going? Let's make sure we don't sink the ship. Yeah, I totally agree, and I think that actually uh, reveals the importance of sort of a meta analysis of whatever you're doing um, and analyzing your customer behavior to drive your marketing decisions. Then go back and analyze your marketing decisions and see if they were the right ones to make. Look at sort of uh, typical uh, um, indicators of how successful your marketing campaigns are going. Uh, look at how your business is moving in the direction and don't let your marketing team necessarily dictate the direction of your business. Uh, but use your marketing team to prove that the directions your business might be trying to go in are successful and on the right track or uh, going down a dark hole. Um, you know, I think I think it's at least at least in the world of data science, something like one out of ten initiatives uh, lands on the runway. You know, um, on the other side, uh, makes it all the way through the flight and lands on the runway free and clear. Um, the other nine all crash along the way, and the more you're able to analyze what you're doing and how successful it is at each stage of the game, 
the quicker you're able to sort of pull the plug on projects that aren't working. Um, I think I think critically analyzing your customer's behavior is great for determining how you should be marketing, but I don't think it's in any way a replacement for sound business strategy and sort of how you're going to navigate through your own unique market. Yeah, I do like that a lot. I think that too often marketing is seen separate from the business when it's really an arm. It's it's part it's an integral piece of the machine and it serves a very uh strong purpose. Uh, but it should be completely in line with the overall objectives of the business. If the business wants to win in a particular industry, marketing should be completely behind it and supporting it. If marketing is going in a different direction, that's going to be devastating because the the biz, senior business officials are going to be saying, we want to want, win in this market. Marketers are going to be saying, we're doubling down on this uh, particular product, which we might be selling better, right? Marketing may be getting a, a good amount of credit. Um, and eventually you win at neither, right? You, you bifurcate and, uh, and, and neither arm supports the other um, and, and it ends up really being inefficient and not working. And that's something I think, especially at big companies that cannot um, have the same level of coordination that smaller companies uh, can have, um, that is probably one of the bigger threats to the overall effectiveness is, are these two hands working together um, with a strategy focus? Yeah. And critically, is marketing... Uh, both delivering on its job to outreach to customers and to better understand and inform the business of who their customers are. I think I think that sort of feedback loop must be present within any marketing department in order for it to be a critical part of the business. If it's not feeding that data back to other departments, then then it's losing a huge opportunity and it's sitting on this wealth of data uh, that's never going to get distributed. I think that's also why sort of an integrated data platform in whatever company you're working in, exposing the data to as many people as possible and using that as the grounds for who you understand, uh, you know, you've got to understand who you are, who your customers are and who your competitors are. And all of those things can happen through a a sort of shared data uh, system. I think that's critical these days. So much. We do tons of, um, or at least my, the favorite part of my job is visualization of data. I think that's the most fun. It's, it's art. Um, it's understanding the objectives that other people might want to get out of the data. And it's socialization of, of insights, making it easy to, to see uh, whatever data you have. Let's, let's say you make an LTV dashboard. You have recency, frequency, volume, value. Um, and you make it super easy for uh, business executives to look in and see how are how is their particular segment doing. Let's say you have a bunch of restaurants uh, or maybe accounts of restaurants, and and they want to see how their particular um, restaurant is doing with with their top customers. Making it super easy to extract those insights is what makes the data valuable. If it just sits in a warehouse and you can look at it, and you and then what's going to happen? You're going to be inundated with executives hitting you up for insights about their particular restaurant. That's not very efficient. That sucks, <laughs> right? For you and for them because you can't get to them. Uh, in a quickly enough time, and you can't do other stuff. You can't pull new insights. So that's why visualization is so important because it helps with the socialization of those insights. And and that's exactly what you're talking about. It has to be integrated across the business. I think visualization is a good way to do that. 
I totally agree. I think it's also one of the cleanest, easiest ways uh, to sort of deliver on the, on the two primary roles of, of data analysis, which is provide data that is readable and provide data that is actionable. That's, those are the, the, the two key things we must do in, in, this, in the world of data analysis. It's, um, it's exactly what you said. If we just sit on the data and don't deliver something that somebody who isn't uh, as deep in this world as we are, uh, if they can't understand it, then we've failed at our jobs. Um, I think that's, yeah, I think that's very wise. And it, and, uh, yeah. I love it. I, you know, we've gone on for, I would just check the timer, um, almost half an hour now, but I really love this conversation, David. I, I think we should hold for now and have a, have another conversation soon. Yeah, I think so too. That'd be great. Cool. Well, thanks again for joining, David. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Remember to subscribe and share with your friends if you enjoyed this episode. Um, I'll be making episodes weekly, so um, please tune in next week uh, for another conversation. Thanks for listening.